0: Welcome to Stonewall Spotlight, a monthly podcast by the Stonewall Democratic Club, bringing you the most salient issues in democratic politics from the LGBTQIA and feminist lens. I'm Mackenzie Hussman, your host, and I'm joined here by my co-host, Marcus Levingood. Thank you, Mackenzie. And this will conclude our special Queer in Quarantine two-part series. Bringing you stories from our community while collectively in quarantine. We're so excited to hear from this month's contributors. So let's get right into it. Our first queer in quarantine story from Stonewall's own controller, Ruben Zade.
1: My name is Ruben Zadeh, and I'm the controller of Stonewall Democratic Club. You know, being in, in uh, quarantine or, or isolation or lockdown, whatever you want to call it, uh, in this time of uh, immense uncertainty, really can be a very emotional experience. And uh, I found myself really feeling a lot of anxiety. Just last week, you know, you watch the news. Unfortunately, the news hasn't been getting any better. And the number of uh, people infected keeps rising. And uh, in in the midst of all of this, I was watching the news one day and I came across a news story that said Trump's approval ratings are uh, going higher and higher and his popularity is, is rising and that just drove me crazy and made me so upset and so disappointed. And I'm like, you know, this, this guy is going to uh, use all of this to, to basically uh, benefit, to make sure that he benefits from all of this in however shady way he can. And uh, there we go again. Uh, four years later, we're back to where we started. Uh, And I reached out to one of our, one of my colleagues, one of our vice presidents on our steering committee and uh, shared what I was uh, feeling with her. And uh, one of the things she pointed out to me, which I thought was amazing, was, you know, we may be locked down. We may not have much power to, to change things all around us. The future is uncertain. But if we keep our heads down, if we keep focus on the things that we can control, such as, you know, the phone bank, the virtual phone banking that we do, the engagement, the, the involvement, the, the activism. If we concentrate on that, the stuff that we can do something about, then that can help release the anxiety or reduce the anxiety. It won't completely release it, re- release it or, or remove it, but at least it. It gives you a, a sense of comfort and uh, hearing that from my colleague really calmed me down uh, the bottom line is yes we cannot control the outcome of this coming election what kinds of shenanigans the Republicans are, are going to pull again what kinds of you know dishonest deceitful disgusting things Trump is going to resort to once again to in my opinion steal yet another election but the things that we can control that are within our reach are to uh, be engaged in, in the activism that the, the causes that we that we believe in. And that's really that gives us a sense of power. And uh, I walked away from that conversation feeling empowered. And so I guess the bottom line is that in the midst of all this uncertainty and craziness and anxiety, there is hope there are things that we can still do to be involved and to make a difference in our own little way. And that's what our organization, that's what Stonewall is all about, about little people doing little things to make big things happen. And uh, uh, you know that, that really does give me a, uh, a sense of accomplishment, a sense of, of power that there are things that we can uh, partake in and, and help the greater cause.
2: My name is Alex Mahajer. I am a political commentator and the public and media relations chair for the Stonewall Democrats. I think the hardest part of being in quarantine right now is the lack of connection to other people. I'm a person that thrives on um, my connections to friends and family and my network of support. And during this time, it's been really uh, interesting not having the same routine that I'm used to and really realizing how much I took for granted, having the support that I have in my life and deciding to make those networks and those connections still work and keep up with them and learn new and innovative ways to connect to other people uh, instead of bemoaning that it doesn't look exactly the same. And I think that has really been the most inspirational part of this uh this pandemic and this crisis has been the reality the the veil that's been lifted on all facets of our society on the need for paid family leave on the income inequality on the lack of a coordinated federal response by our government how the system is stacked for those at the top and beyond politics just how much we take for granted the accessibility and the ease by which we can communicate and connect with one another. So um, it's been both difficult and also inspirational. And I am looking forward to it being over. And I'm also not under any illusions that'll happen anytime soon. But I know that when it's all over and all said and done, I'm hoping that we come out of it on the other side with some renewed clarity, renewed focus, and renewed gratitude and appreciation for those things that we may have overlooked before.
0: We will feature a incredibly insightful interview from one of our past podcasts on racial injustice. I am here with Anthony Keith Turner, an intensive comprehensive case manager for the Office of Diversion and Reentry and founder of the Integrity Commitment, a nonprofit committed to social justice. Welcome to Stonewall Spotlight, Anthony. Thank you. I appreciate you having me here. We're really happy to have you, and you're a friend of John Erickson's, so any friend of John Erickson's is a friend of ours. Oh, man, he's a stellar person.
3: Right? Yeah, anyone that's in the <laughs> space of social justice and environmental sustainability and social equality is, is you know, uh, it's a pivotal individual. It takes a lot. Inspiring,
0: and thank you so much for dedicating your life to it. So let's get right into these questions, all right? So the general public is finally beginning to wake up to the public policy tragedy, that is money bail. But you've been aware of this gross inequity
3: for some time. How has money bail impacted you? Money bail started impacting myself through my uh, my father, actually. Uh, my father uh, was the first person that was closest to me who had been through the penal system uh, affected by the opposition and financial you know structure that he would have needed uh, to post bail, and from that you know it, it, it went from probation to parole to prison, uh, and when I was born, he was in prison. Mm, um, wow. So it, it, that was the first effects, and so right away, home really, really yeah, close. right away. Mm-hmm. You know, um, unfortunately, systematic issues um, with the mass incarceration and um, the way that our judicial system locally is, um, how men of color are um, literally directed, you know, things are directed towards themselves, and they're treated in many different manners. Um, And my approach to the law in the the very beginning was really nice. I really liked being, you know, cops, and I liked, uh, when I was a child, I really liked, you know, police officers and what they did for our community. My grandparents and my mother taught me to, you know, respect the law and civil servants. Um, And my first run-in was being arrested as uh, 14 years old. I turned 15 a couple months later for a marijuana cigarette. Mm-hmm. which is also known as a joint, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I never got off probation. Wow. never got off probation. I went right from juvenile probation into adult probation. Uh, and every time I ran in with the law, it was a violation of probation or there was a new charge and I could not afford bail. So mm-hmm. I sat in L.A. County Jail, uh, and which at that time, you know, was brewing a young man and making a young person who was able to take that oppression of being locked up and incarcerated. Mm-hmm. It's actually being taught to you that this is what your future could look like and this is what it's going to look like. So you start to prepare yourself mentally, physically, and emotionally, psychologically to handle the wilds of being incarcerated. At such a young age, too. Exactly, at such, such a young an age. small and Before I could even know what the word bail really meant, right? Right. Uh, it wasn't even talked about very often in the court tanks because people didn't see people post bail. Mm-hmm, people didn't course. get out on bail. you know. So bail was always set in my case. I knew I couldn't post bail, and I knew that I wouldn't be in one of the nation's worst jails, which is LA County. Mm. So I would take a deal. Wow. So as I took deals, of course, now my rap sheet's growing. Mm-hmm. Now I'm starting to run out of opportunities to Go you know uh, accept lesser offenses or lesser charges or um, now it's starting out you know 16, 2, or three which is sixteen months two years or three years versus starting out at county time so I no longer at this point in my where I said my life can no longer I don't have the opportunity at county uh, 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 charges or county time anymore because of my past mm-hmm. because of the lack of bail because I couldn't afford bail. Not only was my family affected, my children affected, my current wife is affected, my current situation is being affected, uh, and it's it's a circumventing process. You know, it, it, there's no way around it. There's no way around it. You're going to continuously be, um, you know, affected by your criminal background. There's no, you know, court system that's set in place right now to look at a person as who you are, your intellectual properties, you know, the growth and and the things that you've been able to take on as a man, um, the good things that you've done in the community, you know, um, the environmental sustainability, the financial sustainability, that you have children, that you have a social life, that you have, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, you're a good person at heart. None of that matters anymore. There's not a system in place in our country that looks at you as a human being, that looks at you as an individual, and they look at the piece of paper and what the black and white says. Mm-hmm. And look how far back the you. well, he's been in trouble since he was 15 years old. Right. Of course, and unfortunately, this isn't,
0: you're not the only case. This is something that happens over and over again every single day, and people are living with this through their entire lives. Uh, what, as you see them, are the primary issues with the, with California's current use of bail schedules to determine bail assessments?
3: Yeah, so the bail schedule, first and foremost, there is a huge issue with the fact that most of the men and women who come through the penal system, they're not aware that between the time of their arraignment and the time of their uh, preliminary hearing, that they can have a bail hearing to address the assessive bail. They just don't know. There's they no, just uh, don't know. It's something that the lawyers aren't telling them, mm. right? Um, and as we know, the purpose of the bail schedule is to fix an amount upon which a person is arrested without a warrant, right? Um, they may at that time be released from custody prior to an appearance in court. Um, however, bail for an offense pursuant to the schedule shall be the sum of the amount specifically listed for the offense now for something like that with myself if I've had been arrested before my bail automatically starts out different than than the next person. so well if I you know have problems like with myself DUIs right okay there were apparently there was a substance abuse problem somewhere along the line either as an adult as a young adult or you know uh, as as a teenager or even as an adolescent juvenile um but That's not what the court looks at They don't look at whether you have a problem or not Is there an issue or not? No Let's find out if you have this in your past So if you've had, let's say, two DUIs in the past You're being charged with a new crime that may be substance abuse of some sort Instead of looking at that this person has a habitual problem with substance abuse, no, let's look at the bail schedule. Let's find out, okay, a person with two prior DUIs, so there's one DUI, there's two DUIs, there's three DUIs, and now let's look at this bail schedule and start him out at the top term. Mm. So before we even look at what's happening with this person or even get the full police report or have an option to figure out whether the person is guilty or innocent, we're already setting a bail as if the person is guilty. Right. There's already a precedent set because of this record. Because of your previous record. Right. So the the bail schedule as of right now Hmm. needs to be looked at. It needs to be uh, not only looked at, but we need people who have been through the lived experience. Mm -hmm. Through the experience that have actually done it. Have an opportunity at actually... Reclassifying Assisting With the Reclassification And revision Of the bail Schedule mm-hmm. The current Bail schedule Is that Of A person With priors Right You know um, A person Who has had To deal With the Collateral Consequences Of employment Barriers Housing Barriers That has Had to Deal with The wilds Of the Community And society It's a not So much Even personal Anymore uh, Or individualized It's more What society Says that you Should and Shouldn't mm-hmm. do Right. Right Right Yeah Knowing that there's over, you know, uh, $7,500 that's spent holding a person in custody. Oh, my goodness. Per month. Per month? Per per month. And we're talking about city jail. We're not even talking about county jail. And that's a person who's healthy, right? So let's split that down the middle and let's say give a person $3,500 a month Right. A person with thirty five hundred dollars a month, that's, you know, more than about 60 percent of our people are making locally a month. Sure. You could yeah. take care of that person for less than what you're holding them captive in, in jail. It's crazy. Uh, the cost is so
0: exorbitant. I mean, the legislature is more than aware of the cost of this pre-trial, this pretrial detention to taxpayers. Yet the passage of bail reform legislation is really lagged. I mean, why do you suppose that is?
3: First and foremost, um, I really would like to talk to you about a, there is actually a council, okay, that's set up uh, to address the bail system. Okay. Uh, and after calling for a review of the bail system during uh, her tw- 2016 State of Judiciary Address, Chief Justice Tani G. Cantil, Cantil, excuse me, Sakou. her name's pretty tough for me to pronounce, mm. uh, established a pretrial detention reform work group. Um, It was established in October 2016 to study the current system and develop recommendations for reform. Its members include 11 trial court judges and one court executive officer. Judges range in the number of years they have served on the bench, court size and geography, as well as their backgrounds as prosecutors, public defenders, law enforcement, or in a private practice. The problem is did you ever hear anyone in that paragraph who came from lived experience? Right. Where's the Jim Browns? Where's the Maxine Waters? Right. Where's those who, who have actually grew up in the ghettos and in the neighborhoods? There are plenty of people who sit on our judicial uh, councils from the courtroom all the way to our assembly members, to our senate. You know, there are people who have either born and raised in places or they come from the same demographics that I have come from, that have made it through the, 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 the systematic oppressions mm-hmm. of our society and out. have pulled themselves out and who still can speak on this stuff. Mm-hmm. There are also people who have been affected, like uh, uh, Judge Mathis. He's been to jail. Mm-hmm. Judge yeah. Mathis smoked pot. Mm-hmm. He openly explains it. He openly talks about it. Mm-hmm. You know, our president, our, our president last president, Obama. President Ob- Barack Obama, mm-hmm. he speaks about it. But these are not the people that are on this board, the councils, right? the council, that and this is choice. federally funded. And these, this, is, these aren't people that are going to actually—they're going to go, excuse me—going to go into a think tank, think right. this over. And come out with some more oppression, unfortunately, because they have never gone through the systematic oppression of what our country, of what our state, and what our local government in Los Angeles County has continuously put upon folks. How do we get more people like you on there? You have to be, first and foremost, who's educating the people on the policies and the bills that they're voting upon? These conversations need to happen widely. These conversations need to happen soon and they need to happen before the fire burns out. Mark my words. In the next five to seven years, what we're talking about social justice and reform of our criminal justice system is gonna burn out Mm. because we're burning it at two ends of the stick, two ends of the candle, excuse me, right now. And it's in everyone's faces. It's being plastered everywhere. Mm-hmm. The problems, they're not happening where they need to happen. They're happening within the ghettos. They're happening within the workplace sometimes. Mm-hmm. And if it's in the workplace or it's in the office or it's in the, you know, in society, they're happening away from the rest of the pe- personnel who we really need to vote upon these these laws to change, make things change. Mm-hmm. Um John Legend, great person.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Common, great person. Celebrity. Yeah. Sometimes celebrity is impenetrable. It's true. For instance, the rapper. Uh, you know, we have a few rappers. I don't even have to name one, but Meek Mill's whole his whole case. Mm-hmm. It's not condoned to utilize a rapper and his, you know, his platform. To try to change policy and to try to change things because there are so many children who glorify their lifestyles but don't know what they actually kind came, came, you know, how they got to where they are today. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. But there's not very many civil servants, if you will, who are out there teaching about the inequalities in, in our Justice Department or the things that are happening that, you know, because of the the, the departmental pressures. Mm -hmm. You know, um, people at the top, like, I
0: mean, it's it's just like, uh, you can't move forward if, if even the leaders that you look up to aren't making a stand on, you know, these issues. Like, for instance, um... Uh, the prosecutors, prosecutors throughout the state, continue to oppose you know bail reform. Mm-hmm. Like um, for for instance, the appellate court ordered a new hearing, uh, finding the excessive bail requirement unconstitutional. George Gascon, I think that's how you say his name, the district attorney of San Francisco. He's a Newsom appointee. Yes, yes, he is. Gavin Newsom. He's going to yeah. be our next governor, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And this appointee is appealing that decision to the California Supreme Court. Why do you suppose they persist in supporting a clearly uh, prejudicial system? And and is it really about public safety at the end of the day?
3: Public safety versus consumer safety. What's the difference? Most people can't tell you that. I would say 95% of the people in our society, if you were to walk anywhere anywhere, in downtown Los Angeles, the Wilshire District, West mm-hmm. L.A., you know, West Hollywood, Hollywood, anywhere where the our elite personnel work, Calabasas for that matter. I did an expungement clinic in Calabasas and maybe, you know, 40, 50 people showed up from Ventura County. Well, why do you think that is? Because in Ventura County, most people that uh, have gotten into trouble can't live, you know, they, mm-hmm. they can't afford to live there. Right. Right? If... You were an entrepreneur, social enterprise, okay? And not knowing that there's over 48,000 collateral consequences after becoming a convicted felon in our country and 4,800 locally collateral consequences after Mm. becoming a convicted felon. If you're not privy to know that, when you open a store, the first thing you're going to protect is your products, You're going to protect your multi-millions of dollars that you have inside of this huge warehouse of a place that you turn into a gross, you know, part of the GDP. You have all your foods and products. You're going to protect that. Mm -hmm. Right? Versus protecting the public that comes in. Now, I pose a question. Mm -hmm. I hate to do that, but I pose a question. If you were on the aisle... You and I were on the aisle and I were you know, you were shopping and I walked past you the first time and greeted you and you greeted me back and then I went down and turned around on the aisle and I kneeled down and you kinda looked over your shoulder and you seen that I was doing something, so you kinda looked and you saw that I was putting something in one of the jacket pockets of my hoodie. Sure. And then I stood up and I walked out past you, you know, down the aisle. I didn't harm you. Right. I didn't hit you. It didn't harm you to even visually see it, you know, but I stole, so I broke the law, but it didn't harm you, Mm -hmm. right? So the law enforcement, when law enforcement's called in on that, they're going to approach it as a theft. They're not going to approach it as if I did something to you. Mm. But the way the law has been shared and taught to our community is that it's, Public safety is an issue That's a public safety That's a public safety threat Because I walked in there And stole something At mm-hmm. the store Right In in the presence of other people Who in, in might the presence put of, them In, in right. some sort of Right You know Safety issue So a lot Where the funding Is being given For the appeal of bail mm-hmm. Is that if we start To teach you about what that person may be going through. The trauma that that person, in order for that man to come in here, put himself in harm's way by going to jail to steal something, whether it be because of a drug addiction, whether it be because they can't pay their rent, they might be you know, behind on the registration of their car, they might have gotten evicted, they might even be homeless living on the street and they're hungry and they needed something to eat. Well, all you know as a manager or customer in the store for that matter is mm-hmm. that he stole, stole something. something. That's right. Wrong, it's against the law, and he needs to go to jail and pay for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it didn't hurt you. Mm-hmm. Right. It didn't hurt you as a person. It didn't hurt the public. i share right. with you public safety. The public safety issues, uh, county, state, or federal jurisdiction might include narcotic use, trespassing, burglary, harassment, juvenile delinquencies, unauthorized living, noise, littering, uh, inappropriate social behavior, and or other Qualities of life Oppressions Right Generally speaking Organizations are involved In the prevention And protection From events that include Or endanger A person's safety Mm -hmm. The discussion We just talked about I didn't endanger Your safety Whatsoever Right Now let's look at this Consumer safety Consumer safety Says to protect These laws are federal laws for our state and our county uh, governing sales, credit practices involving consumer goods, such as statutes prohibiting or prohibited and regulated deceptive or advertisement and sales practices, product quality, credit financing and reporting, debt collection, leases and other aspects of consumer transactions. So the laws, what I'm getting at is what we have been taught so far, we're protecting you as a public person in the store When I come in And I do something Right No No We're protecting The, the financial goods right. <laughs> the That are owned yeah. By the right. multi-million dollar mm-hmm. Big box company The owner of that You know um, If it's has market shares, the people who are shareholders and so forth. So what we're doing in society when it comes to bail reform is we're teaching people in our community that we're protecting public safety. No, we're protecting our financial Mm. safety of those who have the means to not have to experience the acute trauma of a person who has collateral consequences of employment barriers, housing barriers, food barriers, that has had to deal with the bail issues are broken Bail schedule And Three days A person's life Can change That's the 72 hours That the court has to charge you Mm -hmm. To file charges At the same time What does that say Three days No call No show We know what happens You get fired Mm -hmm. Right So That three days Turns into Two weeks Mm -hmm. Two weeks Turns into a month A month You have a three day Pay quit On your apartment After that, comes eviction notice. Right. 30 days after that, they put a lock on your door and you lose everything. Everything. Bank, same thing. A bank sends you out overdraft fees and if you have 30 days to address it, otherwise they force close the account. Mm -hmm. So we know that a person's whole life changes. If your kids miss more than 36 hours of school without someone calling or coming in, DPSS steps in. Now you're an issue. Now you have a problem with the kids. Who's going to take care of the children? So to answer that question is who's educating the men and women who are actually voting? We have Bernie, great person. Mm-hmm. But also Bernie is looked at as the savior of those who, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, people who aren't doing the right things. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants to overlook things. He doesn't want to fix things. He wants to overlook. No, that's the problem. He's looking. He's, he's not just looking. He's seeing. hmm you know, I love Bernie Sanders, man. He's a great person. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and Governor Newsom's appointee, mm-hmm. his career is at stake. Right. If he doesn't appeal it, his career is at stake. Because now you have little Johnny and little Eddie and his best friends, children who are in college, and they may be in law school. And if we change these laws, that means the court's going to be backlogged. If the court's backlogged, we can't get people to accept deals. If we can't get people to accept deals, you have to let them go. And if we have to let them go, that means our court system and our jail system shrink. And if they shrink, we have to fire people.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: So if we have to fire people, that means now we have a whole lot of student loans that people have taken out for certain things. We have to change the way our lawyers are being taught to serve people because people aren't taking deals anymore. So ineffective assistance to counsel. Now our appellate courts are backlogged. Mm-hmm. So it's a huge problem. It's an epidemic. It's a it's a problem that no one wants to address. Right.
0: So I mean, but how do we address it? How I mean, how do we get SB ten passed with all the support with with Bernie with John Legend, you know, with uh, ACLU and Color of Change? How do we
3: do it? So we have to. Teach, we have to actually, and this is what I've been doing. We have to teach. And I say that very powerfully. Teach and educate the transformation of mind state. You have to teach a person to make that transition, how they see people. That's the only way to get SB ten to pass. You're not SB ten is so much more than just about finances. SB ten is also about making it transparent. Transparency is what SB ten is about because now you're also telling the judicial system that they have to look at a person as a human being. Here I am sitting in front of you with over you know 15 years of jail, you know behind bars of time that I've actually spent behind bars, and I have a long sleeve shirt on, but I'm covered from wrist to wrist and down to my you know to my knees with tattoos and different colored mm. ink and so forth but here it is you would never know you would never know because you're seeing anthony you're not seeing au7119 which was my last cdc number mm. g13423 was the cdc number before that one and see those numbers i would never forget they're like a social security number because it's part of me now right in order to change this in order to actually pass SB 10, it has to be transparent that you're not being seen by the judicial system. You're not. And if they don't have time in the, in the courtroom to look at you as an individual, then that means that we need to make some changes. Yeah. There's a lot of people that are going to come home from those changes. So we have to make transparent what a person actually, what their intellectual properties actually really are. Is this person sitting in front of us in this courtroom today? Do they have a job? Do they have children? Do they have a support system? Can they make it to court? Are we gonna do this person more detriment by keeping them behind bars? Are we gonna save our county, our state, and our nation money by keeping this person out? Do we enhance the children's abilities of growing when they're, you know, as a young person? pupil in our society. It's hard enough being an African-American man, uh, woman. It's hard enough being a white male or woman living in areas of oppression. So taking mom or dad off the streets, is that going to make it that much harder? Are we creating another generational oppression? Does the judge see that? Why do we wait until the 10 o'clock news to talk about a young child who was molested? Why do we wait to the 10 o'clock news to talk about a woman who was sexually harassed at work and she's been telling people at work for the last five years, but it wasn't until she killed herself because no one would listen to her? What is it gonna take for somebody to, you know, create an act of 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 sheer radicalism in one of our courtrooms? Do we have to go back to the days of George Jackson and the Soledad brothers to make a statement so people understand that this is a, a systematic issue? Mm-hmm. Because that's what you see. It seems as if our society only sees what the negative but doesn't see what the positives are. So I don't know the answers to all of it of how SB10 will completely, uh, how we can completely get it passed, but I do know that if we do not make transparent the issues the bail schedule, consumer safety versus uh, public safety looking at who's being appointed to sit on these these boards to make decisions affecting our whole state and our whole county and utilize your voice because you do have one and you know and, and making it transparent because it has I have yet to have go, go into a courtroom looked at as Anthony Turner, an intensive comprehensive case manager for the Office of Diversion and Reentry, working out of the SPA two for Center for Living and Learning. Great company, great place, CBO, uh, community-based organization, you know, um, that I lobby. I lobbied, you know, sending bills and I've lobbied the Senate assembly bills you know, that I do expungement clinics every weekend, helping people expunge their records. The judge didn't see any of that. The judge is like, man, this dude's a Mm two-striker. He was transporting pot. He was drinking. He has DUIs on his record, and he's dangerous because he made it through the prison system. That's another thing I don't think you guys realize, the bail schedule, about this bail schedule. If he's made it through the judicial system, something's wrong with this dude. Mm -hmm. And we locked him up, gave him a nine-year, eight-month sentence, and he has made it. He survived. You're, de- you're, you're a danger to society because you can accept society's pressures and terms, and you can accept the penal system's pressures and terms. Now we have made you—we you, got to figure you out. Mm-hmm. We really have to make— you know, a person's intellectual dialect and intellectual properties and their abilities as a human being to function in our society be the reason for them to have a bail, a chance at being, you know, on recognized release versus how much money you got. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Yeah. Well, Anthony Keith Turner, uh, we
0: see you, we hear you and what you have to say matters. And we thank you so much for your advocacy and your dedication to uh, this cause. It's really inspiring. And thank you for being on Stonewall
3: Spotlight. Thank you. And I appreciate you allowing me to do so. I am Anthony Keith Turner and I am Stonewall.
0: A lot of the recent events surrounding the George Lloyd murder Minnesota, I would like to send a message out to our community that is hurting right now. As an African-American gay man myself, who has 17 other first cousins who are also in the black community, I feel your pain. We will get through this. And for all of you that are wondering what you can do and how you can help, the first thing you can do is listen. Listen to your Black brothers and sisters when they ask for your help. Listen to them, believe them, and then support them. We need you in this fight so that we can stop this racial injustice and we can save the lives of our future Black brothers and sisters and live in a truly equal America, Black lives matter.
4: This is Ryan Basham. I am the communications vice president of Stonewall and an aspiring thirst trap. Um, not really, I, uh, but I, I have been using humor a lot lately to cope with everything that's going on in the world. Not just since the pandemic hit, but since the Trumpster fire hit. I mean, we've been living through a few years of watching a half-wit fake billionaire destroy what we thought America was. Chipping away at the rule of law, chipping away at the balance of powers, chipping away at justice, wiping the floor with our reputation across the globe, our influence across the globe, and attacking the LGBTQ community, especially the trans community, as well as other groups like people of color and Muslims and women and on and on and on. This is a crisis. And then there's the pandemic. And I gotta tell you, for me personally, it's been really weird to be stuck in an apartment with three dogs, a cat, a straight roommate, and his girlfriend. Love all of them, but man, am I reminded of how single I am when they canoodle during our Star Wars marathons, but that's beside the point. It's a really scary time to be alive because if we leave our houses, we could get someone killed. Not just because there's a deadly virus out there, but because the people who are supposed to lead us are doing a really, really bad job. But here's the thing. We've been through stuff like this before. We as a country have had more than one crisis around what America is supposed to be, what democracy we actually have. We even fought a war over it once. And we as a community have been through pandemic before. Now, in all those cases, there was a lot of death, a lot of loss, a lot of tragedy, A lot of chaos. But we've always made something better out of it on the other side. We've always been able, especially in the LGBTQ community, to turn lemons into lemonade. We can't let the tragedy, the losses we've faced this time around, be for nothing. You know, the history isn't written yet. What comes of this moment in time is not set in stone, but it's up to each of us to show up and make a difference. It's up to each of us to own our piece of steering our community, our country, and our species even forward. So, you know, some days I can barely get out of bed because of that vague sense of anxiety and depression about everything that's going on in the world, and all I can do is practice self-care, I think a lot of people experience that. But we all, or at least most of us, also have days when we have it in us to make a difference, to do our part. And our part doesn't even have to be big. So I'm doubling down. Whenever I can, however I can, I'm doing whatever I can to make a difference. I'm showing up. Because what I wanna know is that after this pandemic has passed, and after the elections in November have passed, I want to know that I did as much as I could. As the sports ball people say, I left it all on the field. And I challenge you to do the same. Make sure you leave no stone unturned. Make sure you jump in and make a difference. It's up to each of us. We can't get so bad at figuring out what brings us together that we let it tear us apart. Right now is the time to join forces. Right now is the time to link arms. So join us stonewall is the nation's oldest lgbtq and feminist political group we've been doing this a long time and i have to say we're pretty good at making change and we would love to have you making change with us you can become a dues-paying member for just 25 bucks a year or more if you're able to give but we'll take as little or as much of your energy time and resources as you can spare jump in. Don't hesitate. The water is fine, and as far as I know, we don't bite. But whatever you do, do something. StonewallDims.org is a great place to start. There's a volunteer form there, and you can engage with us on social media at StonewallDims, but just don't sit this one out. Don't wait on the sidelines. If we do all that we can, if we do whatever it takes, we could have an America. A year from now, 10 years from now, that we're really, really, really proud of. And we can know that we were a part of making that happen. So again, please join us. StonewallDims.org, at StonewallDims on the media social. And until I see you on the front lines, I'm sending you love from my very, very overcrowded apartment.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this month's episode of Stonewall Spotlight. We hope you tune in next month as we bring you more voices from our vibrant LGBTQIA community. I'm Mackenzie Hussman. And I'm Marcus Lovingood. We'd also like to thank all of our Queer in Quarantine contributors, Ruben Zadea, George Gascon, Ryan Basham, Mackenzie Hussman, John Erickson, and Alex Mahajer for contributing your stories. We'll see you next time.